I'm literally in this position now where I'm like, okay, I'm out of money. I'm in the position that happens to a lot of entrepreneurs is they have to make the decision like, do I keep going? Do I stop? On this show and so many others, you hear a lot about the success stories and the big companies doing new and exciting things. But the fact of the matter is that those tales of major profits and winning market share and scaling quick, well, they were almost always preceded by some really tough times and moments that have crippled many entrepreneurs who have tried to trod the same path. Connor Lewis is right in the middle of those extremely tough times. Connor's the founder of Fort, a company that sells magnetic pillow forts for kids. Awesome, right? It's a brilliant idea. And that's not just my opinion. Tens of thousands of backers on Kickstarter agreed and they pledged more than $2 million to see Fort make its way into their living rooms. $2 million was raised in under 10 hours. Wild. And yet, despite the buzz and the big raise, Connor is at the crossroads. He's on the cusp of success, but dealing with massive supply chain and logistics challenges that are also impacting companies all around the world. Right now is where a company like Connor's can launch into the stratosphere, or maybe not. So on this episode of Up Next in Commerce, I was excited to talk to Connor and hear from him exactly what he's going through, how he's dealing with the challenges of running a small company, and where he thinks Fort can get to once he pulls the company through those rough early stages. This was a raw, honest, and interesting conversation that I think so many entrepreneurs and business folks will relate to, and I hope you enjoy. Really quick, I want to say thank you, thank you to our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And I'm going to allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent State of Commerce report. Hi, this is John from Salesforce. Did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with Commerce Cloud? Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere. Scale and innovate with ease and drive some serious growth for your business. And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1,400 commerce leaders and analyzed the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide. And we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever-evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerceinsights. That's sfdc.co slash commerceinsights, one word. Before we get into the episode, I would love it if you could hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review. I really want to know what you think and hear how we're doing. All right, on to the interview. Welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO of Mission.org. Today on the show, we have Connor Lewis, who's the founder of Fort. Connor, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I'm excited to be here. I'm very excited to have you on. I think this could be one of the most exciting interviews because I have three kids. And right when I saw your company coming on the show, all my kids are under the age of four. I was like, this is the perfect person to talk to. So yes, well, let me send you one. I need one. So that's a great starting point. Tell me a bit about Fort. What is it? And how did you come upon this idea? Yeah, I mean, it's a really simple story. Um, I lost my job in like doing marketing and media last year in 2020 during the pandemic. And my wife was pregnant. I had a two-year-old daughter. And I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with my life? 
Uh, I had been obsessed with startups and e-commerce and everything like that forever. And I came up with this idea for a magnetic pillow fort, which seems kind of silly, but I was taking some ideas from really popular products that were on the market, uh, things like modular kids' furniture and Legos and all of that. And so mm-hmm. I came up with this magnetic pillow fort idea and I was like, okay, I'm going to build an e-commerce store, you know, take on this kid's trend of, of popular products and people buying stuff for their kids to do while like during COVID in the house, you know, saved up my money, sold my car, used my severance from losing my job and started this company Fort, which, you know, has get, gone on to both be amazing and horrible at the same time. <laughs> wow. Okay. So what were you doing when you had this aha moment because I think I read that you like wrote it down and you kind of forgot all about it and then you came back to it at some point and you're like that's my idea I'm gonna do that yeah I had had so many ideas throughout my life I had been obsessed with you know like podcasts mm-hmm. and had friends who had really cool startups or were entrepreneurs and raised money and all the fancy stuff and I just knew my shot I was gonna take my shot one day I was too scared, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had another corporate job lined up, like I was gonna go do it. COVID kind of killed that. And I found myself literally stuck. And I'm like, okay, one day I literally, w- I woke up, you know, I had seen my daughter and my wife building pillow fort in the living room. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's cool, but this could be done way, in a way cooler way, Velcro, magnets, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I wrote that down on the Evernote on my phone. And it hit me one day, you know, down the line, uh, like a few weeks or a month or two later, I was like, oh, I should just start my own thing. I think I can do it. Um, I don't know what happened. I just was somehow ready, like spiritually to like take the leap. Yeah. And the magnetic pillow fort was the thing that I was like, okay, I think I can actually market this. Like I see the like customer potential need for it. Yeah, I love that. I mean, and one, I think getting laid off is like the best thing that ever happens to people. It happened to me. And like you said, like I would have been too scared to make that next jump. And when I got laid off, it's like, okay, now's the time. So I think a lot of times this can be like a big blessing if you can kind of, you know, proceed in that way. So, I mean, you have this idea now, like what did the next steps look like? I mean, it must, to me, it seems like a perfect fit that you had this background in marketing. Like I saw you had, I think, made like produced and directed documentaries you've been in like the digital media area like it seems like you have the perfect setup to be able to create a really good story around a product and launch it quick but like what were the next steps or how did you kind of play that yeah you know it's funny um it wasn't that different i had made a a, like a film festival documentary uh, and i had done a ton of like online media and video you know video production kind of for like facebook and instagram had been kind of my my thing you know doing for corporate people like for an advertising Mm -hmm. and so I, I, I kind of learned, I'm not super detailed, but I learned project management there. And I also kind of l- learned how to be an entrepreneur because I was entre- always entrepreneurial. But these type of projects like a documentary, um, which I did on a salary from someone else. So I, I had the safety, but I, I learned how to project manage like a budget and large scale, um, uh, like a lot of, you know, we're talking about, I think, 20 terabytes of footage, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, like it's just like managing millions of dollars for an e-commerce company. And so those kind of those skills translated really well. So the first thing I did was I, you know, I went to art school. So I started drawing. I, I drew out a sketch of what I thought it could look like. I immediately started outsourcing uh, designers to do that. And I just dove into research, which was kind of the only thing I knew how to do, which mainly consisted of like podcasts and stuff online. Mm -hmm. So I started researching because like the biggest hurdle in e-commerce with a physical product, you know, like if you're an engineer, building a SaaS product is not uh, unattainable. It it makes sense. You know the steps to do that because you've learned that. 
But if you're a creative person or a filmmaker or some a graphic designer, let's say, or something like that, and you want to start like a clothing line or a cat food brand, somebody somewhere is sewing something or somebody somewhere is like formulating cat food. Yeah. Like you can't just produce it. And so that was the biggest hurdle for me is like, I can draw stuff all day. The sourcing process was that first big step after you know, developing a brand and brand voice and like all the fluff that like I knew how to do already, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so what did you do? Did you go and start talking to smart people or did you go right to Kickstarter and then figure that out afterwards after you had funding? What did that look like? Yeah, <laughs> Hindsight is twenty twenty in this instance. Like I, of course, I wish I would have done like a million things different. But I, I found a course online that taught people how to source off of Alibaba. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a design from uh, Upwork uh, for a product. I, I collaborate because I had art skills. I could draw what I wanted and I had them render it. And I went to Alibaba and just like sourced a ton of factories and found factories who made similar products and like just totally blind went in like that. And it worked well enough to get a factory that I still work with today. And that made me my first sample within like I think within six weeks, we moved really quickly. Wow. Yeah. Did you go like check out the factory in person or did you just kind of like trust and hope you're going to get a product? Totally blind. Okay. I mean, I, you can't even go. The factory is in China yep. and it, yeah, I, I couldn't even get to China. Yeah. Like probably two years ago, I would have been able to like fly to China and like vet it immediately. Mm-hmm. But this was uh, like September 2020. No one yep. was going to China. They were completely locked down. And so... I, I just basically had to hope that I was the the few thousand dollars I was since spending to have them fly this these pieces of foam over the ocean like I was actually going to get something. Yep, fingers crossed. I mean, you're saying that you look back and you you know, you wish you had done a bunch of things different. Up until this point, sounds pretty smart, sounds pretty spot on. Like what would you have changed up until now in your journey? Yeah, I mean, I worked really hard then. You know, and and I had two things going in tandem, right? Like kind of the daylight part of Fort was building an email list because I knew I wanted to do some sort of pre-launch campaign and shooting videos or doing marketing and graphic design stuff. And like that, I kind of understood, you know, I, I knew the mechanisms to turn the social wheels. But at night, it felt like what I was doing was talking to suppliers in China um, and networking with people and kind of troubleshooting and that was super stressful. And I'm, I didn't start out as a business person is like it all comes down to that cost that it takes to get to the customer's door. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing that, that I thought generally like I was like, okay, I've got a handle on this. I was obsessed with the price of it. You know, in hindsight, like I could have been more obsessed or either sought out more professional advice. The irony is that early on, I had no network. You know, I hadn't raised millions of dollars. I had no access uh, to the people that could teach me what I wanted to know. But now that I, now I have like a certain level of access, I have uh, suppliers who are, you know, Americans now, people who, you know, know the industry, I can get introduced. I have networked with real e-commerce people. And so, you know, those first steps of like blind going in are so hard because you're just flying completely blind. Yeah. Yeah. I see. uh, It was fun looking, I think on your Twitter, because a lot of previous guests engage with you and have been supporting you. Like we had Andrew Ferris on and Colin McIntosh <laughs> and Patrick Cadeau and all these people. Where I'm like, of course, the nicest people who've been on our shows are there supporting yes. you in a big way, which I love seeing. I love, yeah, just seeing that network and how everyone's kind of coming together to help each other out in the DDC world. So yeah, those are so all you named all super cool people. Yep, they are. Yes. Only cool people come on our show. So <laughs> yes. Totally. Okay, good. Now it makes me feel Now better. you know you're in the club. 
Okay, so I want to talk a bit about Kickstarter because I read that you raised two million in pre-sales in ten hours, and then I think you ended up raising actually three million. Your goal was only twenty five thousand. So I want to hear a bit about the magic behind you know getting on Kickstarter and raising that much so quickly. The only magic about Kickstarter is the fact that you have to bring the magic. (laughs) Yep. Like the days of Kickstarter being magic on its own are completely over, right? Unless you build like the coolest tabletop game, Mm -hmm. you're just not going to go viral on Kickstarter anymore. However, it's a a really great place to, to build products. So I learned pretty quickly there was this thing called Kickstarter math, and it was all about a pre launch email list. And and now we talk about this in e-commerce all the time, but you know, convert what's your what's your conversion rate on your email list or blah blah blah. So I was like, okay, I need to build an email list of about eight to ten thousand people in order to fill fulfill my Kickstarter launch immediately. What I ended up doing, and the story's a little bit longer, but there's not that much to it, is I built an eighty thousand person email list in like three or four months wow. using like uh, like viral sharing and things. And just the excitement around the product, the product was new and no one had seen it. And I ended up building this huge email list and opened up a Kickstarter and did, like like you said, $2 million in like 10 hours because I had so many people lined up. Wow. And like ultimately, little did I know that was almost completely my downfall. You know, I had consulted with this Kickstarter agency and they were like, oh, you have to sell the product 50% off the first day. Mm-hmm. Like you have to. And what I did was I brought so many customers in the first day of this Kickstarter after building this huge email list and really nurturing them and telling them the story, teaching them every safety thing about the product and everything like that. And so they were ready to buy and they were highly qualified and they did. And I didn't get the chance to make up the loss that I took on that first day. Oh, that's such a bummer. Okay. So then now I want to unravel it a bit to go back to even like building up the email list and then we can get into why maybe discounting is never the way to go. Um, But okay, so building up your email list, you said it was a big component was like viral sharing. What Mm -hmm. were you doing to get people to not only join, but also like bring their friends in? Yeah, so it was really simple and I've I've shouted them out a ton, but I used a a service called Kickoff Labs. They're super popular in this space. I've since used them a, a bunch more. It's really straightforward. We basically created a landing page via Kickoff Labs and we got people to sign up like, hey, get no- get notified when the fort launches. And at the bottom, there's like a little thing like, hey, also, if you enter, you you get a chance to win a free fort. And so basically, it presents you with on the thank you page, like thank you for signing up page, a little um, like short code that's your your own short code. And you basically use that and it's a gamified system. So if you share, you get more uh, points and the person with the most points wins a free fort. So we, you know, we got, basically we're giving away five forts to the top five shares. The top winner ultimately shared like over a thousand times. They gathered a thousand emails for us, right? If you think about the cost of a unit against like 1500 free emails, I mean, it's absolutely, it's worth every cent, right? So, um, you know, you're, you're going to get a lot of unqualified leads in there. You're going to get a lot of spam. Mm-hmm. We had people cheating, but Kickoff Labs is a really easy tool to use. And it was great to kind of do this. And we were also in the mom market, right? You know, you could call it like kids or parents or something, but, you know, most of your purchasers are going to be moms. And it's a really powerful consumer segment. And they are used to giveaways. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not unheard of to see uh, Instagram giveaways and story giveaways and things like that. So, you know, an email is not usually where they're spending most of their time. It would be on Instagram or Facebook or something like that. But it wasn't unheard of. So it really worked in our favor. 
were you tapping into Facebook groups? Because I think about all the moms groups that I'm in in Austin here. And that seems like a very big presence of people who would probably buy this. Like, how did you think about other platforms that you kind of leaned into on top of the, you know, using the campaigns and giveaways? Yeah. So Facebook groups was where our initial growth came from. Um, We basically, you know, when I first came up with the idea for the product, I had seen the success of a product called The Nugget, which is a kid's play couch, which is super popular. So popular. They were like back ordered for like months. Yes. Yes. And people are rabid for them. Right. And so, and it's a really cool company. And I, I've not yet to like meet the founders, but I guess we're technically competitors, but they're, I'm like, I think they're an amazing company. And I saw their success in Facebook groups and they didn't even own their own Facebook group. And so I was like, well, shoot, all I got to do is get one person to share about the fort in like a nugget adjacent Facebook group Mm -hmm. or a like wooden toy Facebook group or Montessori Facebook group. And so, you know, early on before I really had any Facebook leads, what I did was I would run a simple like ad of, you know, my daughter playing with my fort sample. And I would target it to people who liked Montessori because I knew those people were in the Nugget Facebook groups. Mm-hmm. And I would try to get people to share in the Facebook group because you can't share yourself. No one will pay attention. It's like this weird magic. If you share yourself, you get shut down. Yep. So I got lucky. I had like that one magic moment where somebody shared it in like one of these really powerful Facebook groups. And I got 1500 emails that night, you know, because it was like a new thing. Mm-hmm. No one had heard of it. And, and like, as the story goes, like, you know, we fast forward a year later, like Facebook groups are both the like, one of the most powerful and one of the most detrimental things to my company now. Like, so detrimental. Uh, okay, why? Why detrimental? <laughs> a little foreshadowing. Yeah. Okay. I want to hear about this now. This is very intriguing. Because you've said, let's see, what was the other thing where you're like, that was the best part and the worst part of my company so yes. far. And now I'm hearing detrimental. So let's go into the drama of it now. Well, you're I mean, you're catching me. Uh, at the end of September in 2021. So like a year later that I, I you know, I got this growth in, in Facebook, like quite literally a year ago. And now I'm, you know, delivering product to people. We're like suffering horrible supply chain issues. And so I'm, I'm jumping like a literal year in the story. But mm-hmm. basically, the Facebook group also brings out the most unsatisfied people, right? Facebook really, it's very straightforward. It surfaces whatever is getting the most volume, mm-hmm. right? So whatever comment is going to be the most vitriolic or the most negative or offensive is going to get surfaced really quickly right to the top, especially with a private group. So you have your groups tab and whatever comment is like the the most like interacted is going to be the top of that groups tab for your group. Hmm. So, you know, I find myself in the really challenging situation of like, and this is a much longer story about like supply chain issues and and financing and everything. But you know, we had to go back to our backers and and offer an optional charge uh, in order to help ship their product sooner because we we quite literally were out of money, and um, that basically caused what seemed like you know like a some sort of like civil war almost. It was really brutal, um, and it's still kind of ongoing, unfortunately. So we're we're dealing with that right now, where there's a small segment of people, I would say less than 10%, it's kind of the 80-20 rule, who are really unhappy, mm-hmm. who kind of misread our intentions, or maybe they just are are kind of always unhappy or always kind of angry. And so Facebook groups has kind of been this wonderful and horrible thing at the same time. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, 
Work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't talk about publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Okay, so tell me a bit about the supply chain issues. I mean, I know I've heard that throughout almost all the guests who've come on here, everyone's kind of struggling with that, but I haven't heard it maybe as intensely as, or maybe they just haven't told me about it, but tell me like, what are you, what's going on and what kind of things are you encountering right now? Yeah, so we had a, 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 a raise in our cogs early on, you know, um, we kind of knew that was going to happen. And I was like, okay, I'm probably gonna have to raise a little bit of, bit of money or borrow some money to cover this. But you know, I don't want to bother the backers because I want to get them their product. They're my market validation, you know. So these are all the ones that you gave 50% off when you maybe you shouldn't have. Yeah. And I lost like $150 per unit. So, you know, you can imagine 10,000 people. That's you, the math is simple. Yep. It's a lot of money. Yep. So, um, you know, and and I at the time I was losing like maybe thirty to sixty dollars units, so about half that. I was like, okay, this is not un- insurmountable. You know, June, July comes around, we're producing tons of these. You know, seventeen thousand, thirteen thousand, or whatever of them, and I uh, am, am looking around at like the cost to bring these into the U.S. and to move these around and ship them. And no matter how small I get them, you know, compressed and everything, I'm like, oh, I'm, unless I come into some serious money, like I'm going to run out, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to run completely dry. And so I had to make this really tough decision. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And I talked about it very, very publicly because it, I, I almost can't run from it. There's no way to get around the fact that it's super painful. And it's one of those entrepreneurial lessons that I'm kind of having to take take hits with. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I basically, it was between either shipping a segment of my product that I had sold and not shipping anything to any, not, you know, only shipping a a fourth or a third of the product I sold and maybe closing my doors or, you know, not shipping anything and just saying, Hey, sorry, it was a Kickstarter. I failed. Mm -hmm. You know, I spent all your money on production and I'm I'm just going to pay off the debt and call it a day. But I really will believe in this product. I really believe in the longevity of it. And so what I decided to do, because we weren't really a good VC ca- candidate, we're not really great, you know, yeah. the, it just doesn't have all the right things. So I went to the backers and I said, you know, hey, here's the deal. You know, freight is costing me $70 a unit. Uh, it's just pure loss that I'm taking. You bought this for $250 and it cost me $350 to get to your door would you be willing to cover the difference? And uh, it's completely optional. You don't have to do it. And if you don't do it, I will... uh, Basically, what I'm going to do is I've got your information. I'm going to send you your unit when I can cover the loss. You know, So what I'm going to have to do is sell product in the meantime, the inventory that was coming in that was going to be shipped to Kickstarter. I'm going to have to sell this as fast as possible because I'm basically completely dry. At the full price that it should be at. At the yep. full price. Yeah. So I can actually make some money. Uh, well, I obviously won't be making money for a long time, but I have to sell it um, and ship it. I have to, because that's pure cash flow, mm-hmm. right? 
And then uh, if you pay an extra $99, uh, we called it our Freight Express charge, I will ship your product as soon as it's available. <laughs> so, you know, we've already shipped those, you know, the people who've been willing to pay the extra uh, amount, which is about 20% of our backers. Um, I've already shipped a lot of those units. I've shipped, you know, at least like a fifth of those, you know, so, and most of them will be out, you know, in the next few weeks. I'm literally in this position now where I'm like, okay, I'm out of money. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I'm in the position that happens to a lot of entrepreneurs is they have to make the decision. Like, do I keep going? Yeah. Uh, do I stop? And I found myself last week. Um, I had a, I had like a cool media thing happen and it was like a kind of like a life changing experience. And after it, I had a meltdown. Uh, I completely broke down. I started crying and I, I was just, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe what had happened. I, I was looking at my company in the last 18 months and I'm like, what did I do wrong? Mm -hmm. There's like 500 really angry people, you know, writing F you every day in my DMs or something and people saying I'm a scammer. Mm -hmm. There's other people who are like totally fine and paid $99 and are getting their product. And I'm just like, you know, I don't even know what to do anymore. So, I mean, that's kind of like where I've landed now and it's a really heavy thing. It's even more serious when I when I think about like this is a totally bootstrapped company. It's all my own money. I haven't made a dime, and you know I'm living off my wife's salary. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so I'm going through this very like existential founder thing right now. Yeah, I mean, but that's why I love talking to you right now. Like it's such a key moment that happens to almost any founder you talk to who stuck with it has gone through the same thing. I mean, our company as well. There's been moments of almost bankruptcy. There's been moments we had to lay off half of our team. Same kind of thing, looking at it and being like, what to do now? Like, do we just shut all this down? And what I think is so mm -hmm. impressive with how you're handling all this is how you're being so public with it and kind of being open about the struggles that you're going through right now. And there's always going to be mad people. I mean, I think we know that with any product, but it's very impressive watching kind of how you handle that and seeing you still trying to pull through because it seems like there will be a day where a bunch of new orders come in that will, you know, completely eliminate that backlog of the discount <laughs> that was given that maybe should have never been given. And then, you know, smooth sailing from there. But there's always moments like this in every company history. You're just in the thick of it right now. Yeah. And it's good to hear that you've been there and yes. laid off your staff yep. and done the whole thing. Half um, of them. I'm yep. the only... Yeah, half. I mean, right, yeah, I'm the only employee. And I, I was fortunate enough. So I did have the opportunity to take capital at one point, but I took on a business partner who brought in operational uh, capital. Mm -hmm. So I basically, instead of getting a, you know, one or $2 million check, I said, okay, I need somebody who can help me operate this because this is, I'm going to have a bigger problem. You know, I'm great at vision and product and branding and story, but I need to figure out how to actually make this work. And um, he's really helped shepherd me through this. And it, it it's like, I've, it's like I've constantly been reminding myself like this is this obstacle is the is the way to growth. Mm -hmm. And and I just so happen to be doing this really out loud. Yeah. And, and I kind of have to partially because the customer is really vocal. They bought in on a Kickstarter. They weren't really they didn't really know what Kickstarter was. And so I, I kind of brought in a little bit more um, passionate customer than is nor than yeah. is normal. And they were bought in because it was a Kickstarter. And the whole point is to kickstart a company. And so I realized when all this happened and I was terrified and I still am terrified, I said, I, I think I just have to share this mm -hmm. and like totally own it because I don't have a choice. And I feel like I do kind of feel like I'm failing out loud. And it's hard when there are people who tell it, who are telling you that, right? 
You'll be told that even if you are successful, though, just to be clear. <laughs> yeah. OK, that's good to know. I just like this is not it's not fun. Yeah. Like entrepreneurship is fun in general, but this is not enjoyable. The journey of it. I hope this helps to someone listening. I bet it will. Is, there, it's, it's not just you. It's so yeah. painful. Yeah. Yeah. It's so painful. And sometimes it's so lonely, you know? Yep. I mean, so, yeah, I guarantee you it's going to help someone because like I said, I feel like anyone who's past that point has been there. And anyone who's starting up is about to maybe enter that phase. And it might not be as painful as what you're going through, but it's probably going to be pretty close. Like there will always be a hump in the company history where, you know, something is very painful for, I would say, at least a year, um, maybe more. But I mean, okay, so you've got all you have these really great supporters around you, though, in the D2C community. Like what what's some of the advice that they're giving you? Like, what are they saying or having you think about? Because I'm even thinking back to like, Andrew Ferris, such a numbers dude. I mean, our whole conversation was around margins and how to think about like, you know, any kind of metric you could look at. We went through it all. And I think we actually had two. We had Andrew and his business partner. We had both like from CTC and 4x400. We had them both on. They were the same. So like, I'm imagining the kind of advice they'd be giving you, but what's kind of sticking out right now that's maybe helping you? Yeah, I have um, talked to, if you're talking about Taylor Holiday. Taylor Holiday, yeah. Yeah, Taylor, who's like a, it uh, seems like a genius. And he I is. have gotten to talk to him personally a few yeah. times. Um, and he's like one of those guys where you're just like, oh, you're the coolest guy I've ever like Zoomed with. Yeah. Like clearly yeah. just like exudes confidence yep. and and chill. Um, and yeah, and I've gotten advice from those people um, and, and even my own business partner who is operating a f- like a, you know, 30 or $40 million e-commerce brand. Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing someone do it behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean, the big lessons that I've learned are it's so simple. Like I messed up the cost of goods early on. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, what would I, what can I do to fix that now is the question. Like it's too late. So I can, I can get more money from the people who have already paid. Right. Um, if they're already sunk in, it may be possible to, to go in a little further. And we have raised, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars from those people. I can fix the cost of goods for the future. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is what I am, you know, like I've basically already done. Yeah. Um, you know, we've rebuilt the product, we've re-engineered how it's, uh, how it's made to make sure it's like as cost efficient and like still really fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at like the shipping, like, okay, um, what's the most effective way to ship this? Like running numbers backwards and forwards, because with something like this, like you could almost make it all in the U S um, foam is really pretty easy in the U S you know, it's just, you buy a big block of it and you cut it. At the same time, like, does the cost of doing foam in the U.S. outweigh the cost of importing it on a boat over the, you know, over the ocean? Those kind of things are what I dug in really hard to. And then really having good supplier partners. So um, I, it ended up that one of my main supplier now is actually an American overseas with a lot of experience in furniture and things like this. And then like the biggest last like lesson that I've kind of learned from the e-commerce community is just like, it's so hard for me, but I just have to like move past the negativity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's what I've seen. Like Patrick could do is, is, is kind of a big on that. You know, he, he's still to- totally, and he runs an amazing business. I, I use one of his razors and it's called supply shout out, but he um, owns all the social still. Like he, I, he may now just be hiring somebody, but like, he's really good about like not letting that stuff get to him. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as I can tell, like he has dealt with incredible negativity. Um, you know, he has a different customer, a men's shaving product, obviously. And so, you know, that has been really helpful. It's just like, you have to move past them, um, maybe refund them immediately if you can, like do whatever you can to just kind of cut that off. 
like healthily compartmentalize that and kind of like move past it. Yep. I agree. That's, that's great. So when thinking about the cost of goods sold early on, did they change after you committed to the price to the customers? Like, did it go up? And if so, like, is there a thought maybe behind locking that in? Like, how are you protecting yourself now so it doesn't happen again? We actually kind of had to re... I mean, as it goes with Kickstarter, you kind of have to pivot halfway through no matter what. You know, um, when we did see how much we raised on the first day, we were like, okay, we got to make this up, but I think we can do it. We realized some of the challenges with freight and things like that. So we kind of re-engineered the product. We actually added like a zipper in a place to make sure that we could compress the product properly because we knew compression was going to be really important. And so I kind of took all the learnings along the way and like sourcing different factories to ultimately build the product to where we're at now, which is, you know, maybe like the version two, I would call it, but we're not quite to version three is definitely going to be the most cost effective. Um, so with cost of goods, you know, um, for us, the big things to think about, like if you've got a big product, it's all about shipping price. You've got to think about like, okay, how can I make this the right size possible? So you almost have to work backwards from the box size. I started with, when I built the product, I started with the size of a couch cushion, right? It's, it's what I'm making is it's like a fancy couch cushion. But, you know, now we're starting with like, okay, what's within the bounds of what UPS and FedEx call oversized? Uh, how much is the weight and what can we compress? What size product can we compress down to, to make sure we fulfill those size requirements? Got it. Okay. So it's all around the shipping boxes and all of that. And are you able to kind of have in a margin to where if that increases again, like we know that shipping continues to get pricier, like, is there a buffer to kind of help protect you going forward? Yeah. So, I mean, the biggest buffer we have is changing supply chains up. Mm -hmm. So basically um, maintaining relationships with domestic foam suppliers. It's, it's kind of interesting because if everything fell apart, let's say, you know, magnets double in price, which has happened, by the way, during our, our time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think magnets are about $60 out of our cogs, like a full 60. It costs $60 just in magnets. Wow. And so can yeah. we redevelop magnets? That's the question. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're going to look at Velcro and some cheaper options, too. But um, we basically would like, OK, let's say freight spiraled even further. Let's say it doubled from here. Let's say instead of twenty five thousand dollars a container or let's say twenty thousand dollars a container about we're about 20 to 25 right now, depending on which coast you go to. Let's say it's 40,000, which is insane, right? You know, so we'd be paying 120 per unit. We would just immediately open up a U.S. foam supply chain. Mm-hmm. And those are kind of the things that we do plan for, right? Um, we're, we're already sunk into a lot of product. We actually don't really need any more product right now. But you know, we're kind of preparing ourselves for the biggest thing is just freight. So that's why we're constantly trying to get the product smaller and smaller, like within the realm of like still fun, but small. Mm-hmm. That's definitely what we're planning for is like freight going even higher. Got it. Yep. Sounds like a good thing to plan for. Okay. So to get into the excitement realm, what are you most excited about yeah. over this next year? Like, you know, if you put all the other stuff to the side, like what are you really planning for and yeah, getting excited for? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. I'm so deep in like being sad and frustrated. <laughs> no longer, <laughs> Connor. Yeah. Are you allowed? <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's all it's it's like all personal stuff because as an entrepreneur, and you know this, like and a mother, right? Yep. And I'm a dad to young kids under three, you know. Work is, it's this it's funny thing because you feel like as an entrepreneur, work has to be everything. Mm-hmm. Like, and you're the CEO, I'm a CEO, a million dollar company. It's very fancy, right? Yeah. Million dollar company. And like, I would rather probably go mountain biking 
or like walk in the park with my family. You know, I think the things I'm excited for are kind of small, actually. Mm -hmm. I know that in probably 90 days, I'm going to be totally fine. Yep. As you get past that hump and you grow and you bring on good team members, you can take, you know, a lot of things off your plate. It actually gets easier. As you grow your network, what you're already doing, have more people to tap into, ask questions. I mean, I really think it only gets easier after that initial hurdle. Yeah. But you're already on it. So you're about to be there. I am. Yeah. I'm in the middle of it, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We are going to move on to the lightning round now. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready, Connor? Great. What kind of soap do I use? Oh, why don't I add that to my list? That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) How many hours have you played in your pillow fort (laughs) at one time? Uh, I've taken a 90 minute nap in a pillow fort. (laughs) With earplugs and eye shades. That's good. It's probably a very good sound barrier. Uh, actually, I was I was laying on top of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. got it. Got it. Cool. It's like a. It was like my own mattress. Anyways, yeah. I love it. It works works for lazy dads too. I like it. I'm gonna have to try that out. Where do you go to learn? You know, new concepts around e-commerce or new topics, or kind of like stay on top of the news. Like, where are you watching and reading from? I always start with podcasts and then go to kind of like any sort of like just Googling of like founder stories. Mm-hmm. Um, anything. I tr- always try to find stuff with people who are doing like a solving a similar problem. And I usually find that podcasts are the best, even though the, they're the slowest to dig through. Mm-hmm. I'm always looking for like the really deep nuggets of people trying to share really tactical stuff. Yep. I love that. Which is exactly what you were doing here and why people will also connect with it. Yes. If you were to have a podcast, what would it be about? I've thought about this multiple times. Uh-huh. And I've even talked to a friend of mine who does podcasts in e-commerce. And uh, I would call it, my original name was dad to consumer, D to C, yeah. uh, or, or parent to consumer. Because I was thinking, you know, it's so interesting being a, like a parent of young children and an entrepreneur. And I know so many people like yourself, uh, you know, now, of course, we just met, you know, that have the same thing. And it's, it's so interesting balancing those two, you know, mm-hmm. the creative life of an entrepreneur and being a parent. Yeah, I would listen to that. I need all the tips and I can give away my tips. Yeah. <laughs> yes. What's one thing that you're secretly curious about? I am always wanting to learn languages. So I'm like secretly, I'm all, I like, I've, I've learned a lot of Japanese and that's like the coolest language and the most difficult. So that I, like, I'm really, I'm really into that type of thing. And also like constantly seeking new knowledge. So whether it's like learning about SaaS products, like, and I don't even work in SaaS or like a food product. I'm always like kind of secretly like looking for another company or another idea. Mm, that's cool. And a lot of times they have, you know, a lot of kind of ideas that can go across industries and like help out a company yes. that, you know, is not related at all. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And the last one, what's the best piece of advice you've been given maybe in the past like six months? Yes. The best piece of advice is probably that you're not a failure until you quit. (laughs) Yeah. It's really stupid and simple. And that's kind of one that I'm holding. I have a a few other kind of a little bit more like emotional mantras that I'm carrying and, but they're, they're always around, you know, 
how obstacles lead to opportunity and um, that there's always lessons in failure in, or there's always lessons in what looks like failure or look, what looks like a challenge. And, and the, the very bottom of that is if you quit, you actually like it is over. Like my company doesn't go under until I quit. You know, people can call it dead. Um, and so I think that's a really powerful lesson is that you just have to keep going. That's, it's really simple. I love that. Well, Connor, thanks so much for coming on the show, being vulnerable, telling us about what's going on. Um, I've really enjoyed it. Where can people go to support you and learn more about Fort? Yeah, so you can find Fort at getthefort.com, G-E-T-T-H-E-F-O-R-T. Uh, you probably search Magnetic Pillow Fort on Google, and at this point, it will probably come up. Probably find me on Twitter, at Connor B. Lewis, with one N, C-O-N-O-R. However, lately, I haven't been on there much. Um, <laughs> so maybe when the heat dies down, I'll dive back into Twitter. So, But if you do want to get in touch with me, just reach out through the Fort website, and it gets to me, because there's no one else, really, for it to go to. All right. Well, thanks so much, Connor. Thank you so much. listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.